You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science alone. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And this week, we are going to talk flu. Now, if you've been listening to the pod for a while, you'll know that we previously tackled the topic of influenza, the flu, and flu vaccines. But we have to talk about it this year because we are experiencing a very rough flu season, and we have some data out of the Southern Hemisphere that we absolutely have to talk about. So we are revisiting. But before we do that... Let's just quickly recap last week's episode. If you did not yet tune in, definitely go back and listen. We tackle the topic of THC. Andrea gave us a little microbio primer on THC and endocannabinoids. We talk about why THC elicits a high, whereas CBD, which we chatted about the week previously, doesn't elicit the same high that THC does. So tune in. We talk about lots of stuff. We talk about Delta to eight. We talk about the legality of THC. And then, of course, we talk about the available research and data on whether THC is effective against several outcomes. And we also talk about whether it's a gateway drug. So go back and tune in. All right. Are you ready to talk flu, Andrea? I'm always ready to talk flu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. So as I mentioned, there are data that have come out of the Southern Hemisphere that have really made us all take this flu season very, very seriously. So let's talk first about Australia. So typically the Australian flu season occurs from June to September, but it actually started in April this year and it peaked months ahead of its typical pattern. And we know that the earlier the flu season starts, the worse it tends to be. And this is mostly a function of time because the longer the virus circulates, the more damage it's going to do in a population. But another sort of surprising aspect of this year's flu season in Australia was that children seem to have been hit the hardest, according to the Australian Health Agency. Kids ages five through nine had the highest rate of flu cases this year, followed by children ages four and younger and teenagers. We also have data out of Chile. So the flu epidemic in Chile began early, uh, excuse me, began months earlier, same as in Australia, than in a typical flu season, and it's resulted in over 1,000 influenza-associated P&I hospitalizations, and that stands for pneumonia and influenza hospitalizations. So what they're saying is that this year, the incidence of flu-associated hospitalization was four to six times lower than um, the 2017 to 2019, basically pre-COVID, but it's much higher than the incidence in the 2020 through 21 season when the flu virus detection in Chile was low. So the influenza activity in Chile this year 
It had an unseasonal start. And also they saw, and Andrew, you'll have to talk more about this, but they see that it's predominantly strain A, H3N2 virus predominance. And that's consistent with trends in other countries in the Southern Hemisphere, including Australia, Argentina, and Peru. Obviously, there's more population stats that I want to get through here, but do you want to jump in at all, like talking about flu strains, or what do you think? So there are two kind of main types of influenza. There's seasonal influenza and there's pandemic influenza. And so what Jess is referring to right now is seasonal influenza. And so seasonal influenza are caused by circulating influenza viruses that exhibit seasonality, meaning their activity peaks in a current region's winter and activity or spread of the virus declines in the summer. And there's a few variables in play here, but the main things that kind of drive this are, of course, increased indoor commingling and, you know, less outdoor activities during a given country's winter, as well as tendencies for lower humidity levels compared to summer months, which also help facilitate survival and and spread of the influenza viruses. Um, So there are a lot of different types of influenza viruses. And the reason for this is because influenza is a very unique virus. So It's in the family Orthomyxoviridae, and these are RNA viruses. They are considered what we say the negative sense, meaning they're the reverse strand of RNA. But the big thing that determines the number of different strains of influenza is the fact that the genome, so the the RNA that comprises the genetic material of influenza viruses, is segmented. So it's in it's in pieces compared to most viruses which have one long continuous piece. And typically it's in eight smaller pieces. And what this means is that these pieces can actually be more easily exchanged from one influenza virus to the other. And so that enables faster rates of mutation and it enables the emergence of multiple different strains of influenza viruses. So in theory, there are over a hundred of theories theoretical influenza viruses that could possibly exist. And so every season you see an emergence of a particular um, group or cluster of specific virus strains and variants. Now, broadly speaking, humans are concerned with two classes of influenza viruses, influenza A and influenza B. Influenza B viruses typically infect only humans, and they tend to mutate more slowly. They typically account for about 25% of seasonal flu prevalence, but that's not always true. Different years, again, you can have different predominance. Influenza A can also infect other species, including birds, pigs, and others. And the mutation rates are about three times higher than influenza B viruses. And the mutation rate is also at least two times higher than the parental COVID virus, which is SARS-CoV-2. And influenza A typically accounts for about 75% of flu virus prevalence, and influenza A viruses are the ones that can also cause pandemics. And the reason that is is because, as I mentioned, those flu viruses can actually exchange those pieces of their genome. And if they actually exchange whole pieces, it leads to the recombination or the shift into an entirely new virus. So virus A 
and virus B could interact and exchange multiple pieces of their genome and create a whole new virus, let's call it virus C for simplicity's sake, that would then be a completely different influenza virus than we've ever encountered. And when that happens, we call it antigenic shift. And this often or this can result in pandemic influenza as well as seasonal influenza. So when Jess was relating to say that the most common predominant influenza virus in Chile is an influenza A, it's called H3N2. So H is one key protein on the flu virus. It's hemagglutinin. So it's hemagglutinin number three. So there's different classes of that. And the NN2, that stands for another protein called neuraminidase. So it's basically those two combinations. So it's hemagglutinin number three and neuraminidase number two. Again, as I mentioned, there are theoretically hundreds of different flu viruses uh, with different number combinations that can exist. That's not comforting, Andrea. (laughs) This is one reason why I hate when people liken other viruses to influenza viruses, because the influenza viruses are just so unique in their ability to mutate and the number of different variants and strains that exist that I just, I feel like it does a disservice to kind of the complexity of influenza. And also it sometimes creates, you know, inappropriate comparisons. All right. So I just I want to go back to Chile for a second because um, they launched a really robust vaccine campaign. And I just want to talk about it briefly. So basically, they vaccinated over 90 percent of people who were prioritized for vaccination free of charge. And although the vaccines only became available after the first influenza wave, so the first six weeks of the flu season, health authorities successfully vaccinated eight 88% of the target population before peak influenza activity in week 24. Now, this is important because now we have data from this country that sort of hints at how effective this year's flu vaccine will be. And Andrea, I know you're going to talk a bit about how the vaccines are formulated and, and optimized every year. But based on the data out of Chile, we see that the flu vaccines this year were about 50% or more specifically 49% effective at preventing hospitalizations during that predominantly strain A, H3N2. What does this mean, Andrea? The word clade I keep seeing. Does that does that mean? Yeah, so that relates to the the subfamily of the given H3N2 influenza viruses. So as I mentioned, they're very complex genetically. And so we actually classify them into serotype, which is the, the H number and number combo. So you've probably heard H2N2, H3N2, H1N1, H5N1, I mean, all different combinations. But within those, there are also clades. There are families um, that relates to kind of the genetic similarities. It also relates to where the virus was initially isolated. So sometimes you might hear lineage associated with it as well. So suffice it to say, there are all different ways of kind of categorizing and classifying the wide variety of flu viruses out there. So here in the Northern Hemisphere, we're based in the U.S., we sort of have the benefit of of seeing what happens in the Southern Hemisphere and learning from it, right? So we see that it's a, a 
really rough flu season, lots of flu activity. It's hitting early. And we see that the vaccines are about 50% effective at preventing hospitalization. Um, and so we expect similar activity and that the, the, um, the vaccine formulation and its effectiveness will be similar here in the Northern Hemisphere. So it's kind of like a heads up. I know we'll talk a little bit about the vaccine in general and what the offering is this year, but but certainly it underscores the need for vaccination, especially now with an earlier season and a more severe season uh, that we're looking towards. Well, and also flu vaccine coverage and uptake in the U.S., uh, especially this past two years, has been really concerning. We're actually seeing yeah. drops, um, especially among higher risk groups, including children and people who are pregnant. So that's very concerning, especially seeing that in the Southern Hemisphere, we're seeing lots of flu activity among children. So I was looking at the data, and the CDC actually reported three new pediatric deaths for the previous flu season. So sometimes it takes some time for the data for the previous season to be updated. And that brings the season's total to 43 pediatric deaths during last year's flu season in the U.S. This, again, further underscores the importance of vaccination among children, because during most years, about 80% of pediatric flu deaths happen in children who have not been fully vaccinated. And we actually already have some early data about the flu season here in the Northern Hemisphere. So what we're seeing is that already the flu season is more severe than it has been in 13 years. And there's already been one pediatric death in North Carolina. So typically, we see flu season goes from October through May and peaks in December and January. But it's arrived about six weeks earlier this year with uncharacteristically high illness. There have already been at least 880,000 cases of influenza illness, almost 7,000 hospitalizations, and 360 flu-related deaths nationally, including the one child that we previously mentioned. This is why Jess and myself had kind of you know, gave people a heads up and recommended, you know, get your bivalent COVID booster, get your flu shot at the same time. I typically get my flu shot in October, and I actually got mine in September this year because of the data coming out of the Southern Hemisphere that did suggest that flu season was occurring earlier than usual. And if you're listening to this and you haven't yet scheduled your flu vaccine, as Andrea just said, we were really recommending that folks try to get it by end of October, but it's still early, mid-November by the time you're probably here hearing this, and it is not too late to get your flu shot. I want to just read this one quote, and then, Andrea, I'm going to turn it over to you um, to take us through some of the microbiome and immunology. But this is a quote from um, Dr. William Schaffner, who's the medical director for the nonprofit National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. And he said, the data are ominous. Not only is flu early, it also looks very severe. This is not just a preview of coming attractions. We're already starting to see this movie, and I would call it a very scary movie. So the experts who are monitoring this, we don't like to be alarmists, right, Andrea? We don't, yep. we're, we're not down with the fear mongering, but these data are definitely making us say, whoa, everyone needs to take the flu 
very seriously this year. Do not delay and schedule those shots if you haven't already. Yeah. And Jess, you know, I think you've you've done a great job of kind of summarizing the population level statistics, but typically seasonal flu, you know, leads to between 20,000 and 60,000 deaths in the U.S. every year. Some years it's milder than others. And again, that relates to the circulating strains of flu virus that happen to be predominant in a given year. And that's excluding pandemics. So pandemics are when you have an emergence of an all-new influenza A virus that humans have never seen, and that leads to really rapid disease spread and much higher case fatality rates. But this is just our regular, routine, endemic influenza every year in the winter. So, you know, it's certainly a considerable disease burden, and a lot of that can be mitigated by, by vaccination. And so let's talk a little bit about vaccines. So the first influenza vaccine existed or was created um, licensed in 1945. And every year we've had flu vaccines since. Back then it was considered to be a bivalent vaccine, meaning two. So it covered one strain of influenza A and one strain of influenza B. This year, all of the flu vaccines available are what we call quadrivalent or quadrivalent, depending on how you want to pronounce it, meaning they cover four components, four different influenza viruses. And if you recall me just mentioning, flu viruses mutate very quickly much more quickly than other viruses, partially because of the segmented genome, partially because they don't have error-proofing mechanisms. So when they replicate, the rate of mutation is higher because they can't go back and check for errors and correct them. So again, those will accrue as cumulative mutations. And that's really why we need a vaccine every year, because those flu viruses, maybe activity is lower in the summer, but the viruses are still circulating. They're getting to the other hemisphere, which happens to be their winter during our summer. There's more opportunities to mutate. So you have this constant global cycle of influenza viruses. And um, because of the accumulated mutations that occur over time, the previous year vaccine is not as effective as current year vaccines. So again, we need a vaccine every year. It's not a one and done like it like it is the case for some viruses that mutate much more slowly. So the vaccines are created using inactivated virus, meaning we have intact influenza viruses that are inactivated using chemical treatment, which means that they are no longer living. Viruses are technically not living, but they're no longer able to replicate and infect us and spread. They All they do, they're like a shell of the original virus that our immune system will recognize and say, hey, this looks like a foreign invader. I'm going to develop protection. Just like most vaccines, that protection takes about two weeks to develop. So you get vaccinated. You're not going to be protected fully against influenza until about two weeks after that vaccine. So this year's vaccines for the 2022-2023 season, there are two main formulations. There's the egg-based, which are grown in chicken eggs. Um, these are called in ovo. And then there are the cell-based. So these are not grown in chicken eggs. They're grown in cell culture. They both cover four different strains of influenza viruses. So we have two influenza A's. One is an H3N2. So that's the one that we saw was predominant in Chile, and one is an H1N1. And that's true for both options of the flu vaccine. And then we have two influenza B. One is the Victoria lineage and one is the Yamagata lineage. And again, this is true for both the egg-based and the cell-based vaccines. It is recommended that everybody six months and older get a flu shot. And that is number one, heard from the herd today. Who should get a flu shot? Everyone six months and older. 
And for those older than 65, this year is a particular recommendation to get the high-dose flu vaccine. So this is actually a, a four times the amount of antigen. There's also an option for the adjuvanted flu vaccine. And adjuvanted basically means that there are um, additions to the vaccine that improve or augment the immune response. Now, this is particularly important because individuals 65 and older are at higher risk for severe illness and death. So increasing the dosage when your immune system is not quite as robust as you age will improve the protection you have if you do encounter the flu virus. I just wanted to jump in here. If you go ahead and schedule that flu shot, as we hope you will (laughs) when you're hearing this, you should go ahead and also schedule your bivalent COVID booster, because as we've said, you can get both at the same time. And, you know, Andrea, we keep hearing this phrase twindemic. And I I don't love that phrase because I feel like it's sort of fear mongery. But, you know, obviously you you don't want to get hit with both of these viruses, right? They obviously make you feel terrible. They can cause severe sickness, um, severe, you know, lung inflammation. And so just protect yourself against both of those. You can get them at the same time. You don't need to space them out. Yep, absolutely. And pregnant people are eligible to get both as well. I haven't pulled the most recent data, but only about... 5% of eligible people had gotten the bivalent booster as of a week or so ago. So it's really low uptake. And current estimates for flu shots are only about 21% of eligible people. Now, I want to plug now for parents of young kids. So as we said, if your child is six months and older, they should absolutely be getting their flu shot. And I guess kids this year, it's recommended that they get two doses at least four weeks apart. So you want to go ahead and get that scheduled as soon as possible. Possible because as Andrea said, you really don't have that protection until two weeks after that last dose, right? That's how you, you get maximal. Yes, yes, exactly. So yes, people often don't consider themselves, you know, someone that should be getting their flu shot. So, you know, let's go ahead and address another question from the herd. So the question is, why should I get a flu shot if I never get the flu and I'm a healthy adult? So this is a little bit of what we like to call survivor bias, meaning, you know, just because something hasn't happened to you yet doesn't mean that it's a commentary on past behaviors. You know, if you haven't gotten the flu, that's that's really lucky, but that doesn't mean that you're not at risk of getting the flu. I think the analogy we often use is, you know, you've never been in a car accident, so you don't need a seatbelt. It's the same sort of logic. You know, seatbelts aren't aren't going to prevent every single injury in case of a car accident, just like the flu shot. It's not going to always prevent you from getting infected, but it's going to protect you against severe illness, death. And even if you consider yourself to be a healthy adult, that doesn't mean that you're protected. You know, healthy people, otherwise considered healthy people can still get very seriously sick. But but on top of that, they can infect other people, right? You can infect young children who are high risk. They can infect older adults that are high risk or people who are immunocompromised. So you're also helping to protect people at a community level. And I can say, you know, as someone who got the flu conveniently the year that they ran out of flu shots and I wasn't able to get one in time. um, What? Yeah, it was really bad. I can't remember what it was, maybe 20, maybe 2012. I remember I was in grad school. But anyway, I drove to like five different pharmacies and they they were out of stock. And and by the time, you know, I got I got the flu and it was and I was in my 20s healthy, a runner. And it was terrifying. It was really the only time that I actually considered going to the hospital from, you know, a respiratory illness 
in in my life. I had 105 fever. I was delirious. I couldn't get out of bed. I mean, it was it was not fun. So it's not something that you really want to take a chance on when we have tested safety data, efficacy data from when flu shots you know, began in, in the 1940s that, that these vaccines work. And Andrea, if people haven't seen Andrea, Andrea is this healthy athlete in like, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're in amazingly good physical health. And, and so for you to be so impacted by the flu, people should certainly, the fact that people sometimes write this off as just, oh, you know, just a bad cold, I'll feel crappy for a couple of days. I mean, hopefully, but, but clearly, you know, we're seeing, especially this season, mass hospitalizations and and, and deaths. So as you said, we have this tool to prevent that. Why not take advantage? (laughs) You know, I also think a lot of people who claim that they've had the flu and it's no big deal, they actually didn't have the flu. They had some other respiratory infection, you know, because there's a lot of symptom overlap with rhinoviruses and other human coronaviruses and the non-COVID ones. And, you know, those can be much milder. Influenza is definitely no joke. You know, we see that even with vaccines. And yes, granted, vaccine uptake is is never that impressive. Um, We'd love to get it higher, but it still kills thousands of people every year in the U.S. alone. So, and actually, Andrew, I'm going to see if I could snag um, Ethan. That's my hobby. He's, mm-hmm. an, ER He's an ER doctor. He's an ER doctor. Um, I really don't say that, my goodness. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, his perspective as a clinician on the front lines, he's seeing people of all ages come in with the flu, and maybe he can sort of share what he's seeing, especially yeah. this season. There's another myth that we've, we addressed in the previous pod episode on the flu, but we have to address it again. This is herd from the herd. We were asked can a flu vaccine give you the flu? And the answer is no, absolutely not. It is not possible for the flu vaccine to give you the flu. They are either made with an activated virus, which means that it's a killed virus, or a single protein from the flu virus. And even the nasal spray vaccine, which contains live viruses, those are attenuated or weakened, so they will not and cannot cause illness. They cannot give you the flu. And if you're feeling anything after you're getting your flu shot, it's sort of similar to any time you get a vaccine. It's your body's reaction. Your body, this is my simple way of saying it, Andrea. I'm sure there's a better way to say it, but (laughs) your body mounting uh, an immune response and and getting ready to protect you should you encounter the virus. Yes, exactly. Thank you. So another myth that constantly circulates is, um, and, and again, another question we heard from the herd is, I heard, heard, <laughs> there is mercury in flu vaccines. So I think, you know, we need to clear up some misconceptions. We actually did a post on this recently, too. So first of all, mercury is a naturally occurring element. It is a, a liquid metal that's found in the earth, crust, air, soil, and water. And this is typically released into the environment through weathering of rocks, burning of coal, and volcanic eruptions. That is what we call elemental mercury. There are also chemical compounds that contain mercury ions, which are different substances, two of which that I'll touch on are are methylmercury and ethylmercury. So methylmercury is mercury ions that are bound to methyl groups, which are a very distinct chemical functional group. And this, this type of mercury compound can make its way into the food chain, in fish, animals, humans, in the soil. And methylmercury 
is not easily metabolized by our body and it can accumulate. And so this is the one where you might be warned about eating large um, fish, particularly when pregnant. So methylmercury can actually be toxic to humans at relatively low doses. In contrast, there's a different form of mercury called ethylmercury, which are mercury ions bound to ethyl groups, which are not the same as methyl groups, even though they kind of sound the same. And this can be part of a a substance called thimerosal. And thimerosal is in very specific types of vaccines. So thimerosal contains a different form of mercury called ethylmercury. Ethylmercury is rapidly broken down and metabolized by our body and excreted. It does not accumulate, and it is not toxic to humans at doses we would be exposed to. So this is actually, I like to use this analogy because it's similar to ethyl alcohol and methyl alcohol. So ethanol or methanol, they sound kind of similar. They're slight composition differences. They're very, very different in terms of impact to our body. Ethanol is the type of alcohol you find in your beverages, whereas methanol, also known as wood alcohol, is extremely toxic at very low doses. First of all, ethylmercury in the form of thimerosal is used as a preservative. It's only used in multi-dose vaccine vials for influenza. 93% of influenza vaccines this season are thimerosal-free to begin with. Next, the multi-dose vials that do contain thimerosal contain very low levels of thimerosal. And as I mentioned, this contains ethylmercury, which is rapidly broken down and excreted. There are decades of data that demonstrate that this is safe. It is not linked to any health concerns autism, any of the myths that have circulated. There's no scientific study that has found a link between thimerosal and any harmful effects. Love that. I also can picture your face as you're reading off those (laughs) stats. (laughs) All right. So here's where we stand. Only about 21% of adults have gotten vaccinated this year. 21% of pregnant women, which is lower, five percentage points lower than last year at this time. 22% for children. Go out and schedule those vaccines. We know that a lot of folks are sort of experiencing vaccine burnout, I guess. And some people, Andrea, are concerned that they're getting too many vaccines and that we're overtaxing our immune system. And this is something that we've chatted about, but maybe worth reiterating that that's not a thing. We can't, we cannot overwhelm our immune system with vaccines. And that I love how you always say it, that like just by going outside and like going to the park or just going and interacting with people at the grocery store, our immune systems are encountering more pathogens and being, quote unquote, taxed more than they ever could be by vaccines. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're talking about vaccines that have, you know, a single virus. So, you know, you have a handful of antigens. So antigens are the molecules that activate the immune system and lead to the production of antibodies. Or you've got a vaccine that just contains a couple purified antigens, so a particular viral protein, such as the case with the COVID vaccines. In contrast, you go in your bathroom and your bathroom is filled with trillions of bacteria and viruses, some harm. Yeah, I mean, some some <laughs> some don't cause illness. Some are part of our microbiome. We, we you know, they live in and on us, but our body has hundreds more microorganism cells than human cells. So certainly 
suddenly getting a few vaccines in a given season, you know, you're adding a few antigens to that load. You're not doing anything that's going to cause dysfunction to your immune system. And I think related to that, you know, there's this fallacy that, oh, well, flu season is, you know, is high because because everybody was locked up during COVID. And again, that's a fallacy, right? You go in your bathroom, there's lots of microorganisms you're going to be exposed to. You eat some cheese, lots of microorganisms you're going to be exposed to. I mean, they're everywhere. The reason that flu activity was low in previous years is because people were on the whole relatively diligent about social distancing, about wearing masks indoors and things like that. And now as pandemic fatigue has made an impression in communities, people are kind of loosening the grips on these sorts of mitigation measures. And so these viruses that are always circulating, they're finding hosts more easily. And so, you know, Plus, you have the fact that these viruses mutate to, you know, enable them to better infect people. So if they weren't, you know, if viruses weren't encountering as many people last year, you know, a particular mutation that occurred randomly but allowed it to more easily infect cells might be selected for. This is all evolution, right? And so, you know, we've got different strains of the flu virus this year. They seem to be uh, activity is is cropping up earlier. It seems to be causing more severe illness. All good reasons to get that vaccine and have that extra layer of protection. Love it. I'm just going to say one more thing or I guess a couple more things and then I'll turn it over to you to wrap up and, and take us home here. But so many myths circulating about this. Again, you cannot get the flu from the flu shot. If you previously never had the flu, lucky you. That doesn't mean that you can't and won't get the flu this year. We're experiencing a very bad flu season. Kids in particular are getting hit hard. Um, We know that flu vaccines reduce the risk of flu-associated death by half in children with high-risk medical conditions and by two-thirds in healthy children. My children have both been vaccinated against the flu. I have been vaccinated against the flu. You can find a flu vaccine by visiting vaccines.gov and entering your zip code. Anytime I step foot into CVS or Target or Walgreens, they're practically begging people to get the flu shot. They often give you a voucher, you know, like a you could 20% off your, your purchase if you get the flu vaccine. We really strongly recommend getting the vaccine as soon as possible. And again, if you're getting the flu vaccine and you haven't already received your up updated um, bivalent COVID booster, go ahead and get both at the same time. That's that's it. That's that's my public health uh, soapbox, Andrea. Over to you. All right. I think I think that wraps it up really well. Again, vaccine rates are low. Get that flu vaccine. You know, we've got this preventative. That's certainly going to what what is it? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So let's prevent it before we have to address it. So thank you for joining us today. We hope you learned a thing or two. And if you like our pod, please share with your friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want more unbiased science, please check out our Substack subscription. Um, This will give you access to our monthly live Q&As. You'll be able to weigh in with your questions that will be featured on Heard from the Herd segments. And you'll also get access to our private Facebook group. So check it out at theunbiasedscipod.substack.com. Next episode, we are going to tackle a holiday-themed topic, tryptophan. It gets lots of questions, and there's a 
decent amount of misinformation out there. Um, so we thought it might be a fun preview pre-Thanksgiving to tackle. We will, of course, continue to provide updates on flu, COVID-19, and a variety of other topics on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. I am a scientist. Yeah, uh, I am a scientist. Yeah, uh, I am a scientist.